Today is September 2nd. Welcome to Native Calgarian. Native Calgarian is being recorded on the lands of the Blackfoot Confederacy. The Blackfoot is south of the imposed U.S.-Canadian border are the Blackfeet, and north of the border are the Siksika, Bagani, and Blood, or Ganai, sorry, of the Confederacy. These lands are now on Treaty 7, signed in 1877, with signatories that include the Blackfoot Confederacy, Estonia, Nakoda, Wesley, Chiniki, Bearspaw Nations, and Sutina Nation. I acknowledge all First Nations, Métis, Inuit, status and non-status across Turtle Island as the keepers of these lands. Uh, acknowledging land is, is Indigenous protocol. Oki, Mekochi, Chestokom Aki. Or, hi, I'm Red Thunder Woman in Blackfoot. My name was given to me in ceremony, and my humblest apologies to the Blackfoot elders and language keepers as I try to learn the proper pronunciation. I honor the Blackfoot. My name is Michelle Robinson. I was born here in Calgary as Michelle Elliott. Very English names, which has afforded me privilege in an English colonial world. My mother is Northern Slavey Dene, or Satu Dene, but my Indian Act Imposed status card by the Canadian government says Yellow Knives Dene. My father is so Canadian that I am a daughter of the Mayflower and a daughter of the American Revolution while having an Indian Act Imposed status card. I acknowledge my Dene lineage and that I was born in Calgary, but my family is not part of the Treaty 7 signatories. My Dene lineage roots me in the land of the Hare people, also called Great Bear Lake people, in Treaty 11. I'm a native to Turtle Island, and my Dene nation is a visitor to this area of Clinchotine Indahe in Satu Dene, meaning Many Horse Town, named after the Calgary Stampede. Land acknowledgements are critical to creating a safer space for Indigenous people, as well as honoring the host as the guest, as well as just Indigenous protocol in general. So any mistakes and misinterpretations are on me. I encourage questions so that misunderstandings can be cleared up as soon as possible. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous, and I'll just share what I know as I walk down my red road. If you're experiencing emotional distress after hearing anything we talk about today, call the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Our Wellness helpline at 1-855-242-3310. It's toll-free, and open 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Non-Indigenous, there are distress lines in your area too. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. Thank you to the previous donors for already showing your support to the show. If you value listening and can afford to give, thank you. To those who cannot afford to give, but listen in, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com. Send in your comments, questions. We are also on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. I want to give a shout out to my super loyal donors, Alexandria, Beatrice, Celine, Diana, Heather, Jocelyn, Judy, Kenna, Kimberly, Lee, uh, Marisa, Marissa with one S, Natalie, Nathan, Phyllis, Rebecca, the Sprawl, Tiffany, Vanessa with one S, and Veronica. So just a reminder that the Justice for Joey English Walk is coming up. So that'll be from B- um, Bagani, and that's going to be uh, to add up for the October 4th Walking with Our Sisters Vigils, or uh, sorry, uh, Sisters in Spirit Vigil. And uh, so that starts on October 2nd, and October 4th is nationally all of the Sisters in Spirit Vigils. So if you're not in Calgary, by all means, attend a Sisters in Spirit Vigil wherever that might be in your area. 
So I want to say thank you again to Natalie for coming on the show last uh, last week. It, I think it's really important to hear, you know, a person who is German who was raised in in an atmosphere of anti-oppression to come to Canada and say, what are you doing, Canada? So I cannot thank you enough, Natalie. So today is Labor Day, September 2nd, and I was just thinking about how hard it is to survive capitalism here on yet another Labor Day. I always Google my dad's local, and I came across a Native's friend's post about being unable to so-called pass <laughs> in my dad's local. Uh, so he's a he's a non-union uh, laborer now, or boilermaker. You know, and it, and it really bothers me because my friend, he is visibly Native. And, um, you know, so I know that structurally all institutions are racist. They don't have proper diversity training. And I know you can never convince, um, you know, white people that that is the case. But I know that that is the case at the end of the day. Um, and before all the folks who love their unions, and I was grew up as a union daughter, get all, you know, at me, just remember, I know all unions fought hard for the few rights that workers have. And I just want to point out to those people who just cannot wrap their freaking brains around colonialism that this capitalist society was imposed on these lands. So what you might not understand because you were raised in this capitalist society is that human rights are inherent. That means everyone who gets born should have the right to, you know, shelter, food, water. And that's not the case. Because in a capitalist society, you have to fight for those rights, which is the most ridiculous thing on the planet. It goes against all natural laws. But I would argue capitalism goes against all natural laws. So anyway, um, obviously bullying in the workplace is a direct consequence of you know, this kind of mentality. So whether it's at home or at work, you're I'm trying to make peace with this just sucks while you're trying to survive. Um, I know lots of people yesterday at Pride um, wanted to be there, but couldn't be there because they had to work because they're the most marginalized demographic. So of course they have to work on, you know, a long weekend, Pride weekend. Just shows the, you know, mentality that folks don't even understand is a reality. Anyway, it kind of led me down the whole road of thinking about mental health and how much need there is for like structures and strategies, but there's absolutely zero interest from folks because we're in this world of capitalism where you victim blame. So it it's hard because the suicide rates are so high, addiction issues are so high, and yet insurance companies are absolutely denying folks any access to, you know, these services to help them with, say, addictions or other mental health issues. And then they die and then their families get denied any insurance coverage because it was related to these things. It, it's just so insane to me that this is a society we live in and everybody's just A-OK with it. So I shared um, an article about that insurance company denying mental health care before and after death. And I'll always share sex workers' rights articles as well because, um, you know, again, most marginalized demographics always end up uh, having to survive the status quo under the worst conditions. And again, victim blaming. Yay! So on a positive note, I've seen that the Canadian Union of Postal Workers 
stopped the Labor Day march in Hamilton, chanting uh, justice for Grassy Narrows, preventing the Prime Minister from being able to march. And according to Green in Hammer City on Twitter, he says that the Hamilton IWW Socialist Fight Backs and other local labor groups also participated in that blockade. So it was obviously well coordinated in order to do that. <laughs> so, and uh, so this weekend was Pride. Happy Pride to any Calgarians that are listening and are still celebrating or recovering might be the better word. I don't know. <laughs> um, so, first we had the Treaty 7 Trans and Dyke March, and then we had Pride. So I posted a few pictures about that. Oh, and then we had this really weird storm last night. Um, so yeah, I just thought I'd share our family's kind of perspective a bit on it. And, um, you know, Samantha, she's getting so much better with pictures on her phone than I am. So she has the best pictures. I doubt she'll ever post them, but I hope she just, you know, humors her mother and sends me a couple so I can go get them uh, developed. Anyway, she marched with uh, two of her friends and I, of course, invited David Kahn to march with me. Um, I still think Albertans, Calgarians are so fucking shitty to not acknowledge we had not just, you know, a, a gay, a leader, but a brown one, like racism, homophobia, brilliant man, love him to pieces. Nobody wants to talk about that. Nobody wants to acknowledge that that happened to him. And yet, you know, our so-called ally of Rachel Notley and her orange team, like, you know, was racist to to one of the members of Voices right after a land acknowledgement last year. And yeah, nobody wants to acknowledge that. Anyway, anyway, I'll just keep reading what I kind of wrote down because I know I'll forget. That's the whole thing. So the Calgary Pride Board changed dramatically. And with the uh, MMIWG2 report that came out, there was a big shift in the Indigenous community on two-spirit inclusion. And there's been a big shift in the LGBTQ2 plus community on seeing two-spirit as a as an intersectionality. I'm not suggesting anyone understands colonialism, because you and I all know they don't. But at least there's an understanding that there was something bigger there that they don't maybe just don't understand um, and want to learn more, despite all of the numerous articles we share on a regular basis about art, that perspective, that all it would take would be people to click and read them. But, you know, um, I also felt that there was a willingness to learn about Indigenous, but there are still some committed to not understanding, and it especially hurts when it's from racialized folks themselves, because we have people from, like, non-Indigenous communities that are racialized that just are still uninterested in really understanding colonialism and their, you know, role as a as somebody who benefits from that oppression. Um, structural racism is tough even for a lot of racial, racialized communities to understand because if you're just so in the throes of it, and I mean, I'm like 42, and it took me decades to get to this point because we don't teach this. And I know my family does not not just not teach about racism, but denies it, right? So, and that and that's quite common, especially even in racial folks because you're, we want to focus more on just surviving, right? Anyway, anyway. Um, yeah, so there was no apology to Evans from Rachel on what happened last year. Um, I don't know why I thought that might happen. I think sometimes I dream a little too big. <laughs> uh, maybe. I don't know if that's what it is, but I love uh, 
You know how new age people, they're all like, if you manifest it, it will happen. Namaste. I'd like to pretend that's why I do it, but that's not why I do it. I think I just dream. <laughs> anyway, um, there were a lot of uh, NDPers that marched. There was, uh, of course, a nonprofit run by um, non-racialized people that let them march. So, of course, that's that's perfectly acceptable, you know, stepping on the stones of uh, toes of all the Blackfoot. But whatever. Um, I did try to express every time I took the mic that, you know, you have to understand last year I couldn't even get a racialized gay man to do a proper land acknowledgement at all during Pride. Like last year, that wasn't even a thing. I even got invited to do one just for them to not include me. And it wasn't really that nearly as much as it was that they just did a shitty land acknowledgement. And then, of course, all the racialized union people were like, no, the NDP are fucking perfect, blah, 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 blah. So it was like, <laughs> you guys don't understand the salt on the wound you constantly put. Regardless, um, you know, this year we have, like, a, in a year, I think a lot has changed where people really understand the, you know, um, significance of a land acknowledgement. A lot of them are afraid to screw it up, though. And so I've been doing a lot of uh, free teaching, but so has uh, the Calgary Foundation. Uh, they've been putting out really great videos on that. And a lot more Blackfoot perspective, obviously, too. But if there's anyone listening who's in Calgary who still wants more time to learn, I do about an hour-long um, land acknowledgement conversation so that we can help folks feel confident in saying these land acknowledgements. So um, so that was the difference between last year and this year. Anyway, so I was really happy that we're, we're having this problem that people want to have land acknowledgements. But the bigger problem is... Me, as a straight cis person, is being asked to come and do them, which is great, except on Pride, there's actual queer indigenous folks who can and should be the ones doing it and, and getting paid for it as well, right? Um, arguably, there's never enough money for proper land acknowledgements and for proper representation, and that is in itself a problem. And of course, it's Labor Day, and... <laughs> The day I see unions take up that fight would be lovely. Anyway, um, I but I do apologize to the indigenous community that um, that do identify as gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, queer, um, two spirit, all of um, all of the identities that are missing, asexual. I want to acknowledge that um, your voice is the one I want to empower. Your voice is the one I want to promote. I try to um, by shares and such on Facebook and Twitter, but by all means, not the same as um, you needing to get that phone call. And I'm hoping that over the course of this next year, we can do that so that, you know, next year there's no, hey, Michelle, will you come and do a land acknowledgement at Pride? Hopefully there will be no need because there will be tons of Indigenous folks that, um, that feel confident doing it. And if you are Indigenous and you're at all unconfident about it, please contact me because I would want to help in any way empower you so that you know you have every right to be doing that land acknowledgement. So contact me if you're a little concerned about that. Um, anyway, I just uh, want to start um, not taking that space. Apologize to folks who I have taken that space Want and I... I hope to encourage way more, uh, way more other voices, 
But, you know, even for me, I have a hard time getting my daughter to some of these events. So I know that they're, the barriers are not always understood of how hard it is to um, get Indigenous to these events. And again, I'll just bring up that I know Indigenous folks that were forced to work yesterday and couldn't even be a part of Pride, which is not fair. Um, yeah, so if you're a non-Indigenous person, you're like, geez, how can I do that? One, if you own a business, think about that. But two, if you don't own a business, there are probably queer people that you work with that probably would have loved to have, um, you know, changed that shift with you. You probably could have helped accommodate them in some way. If you're a union person and you definitely don't see racism, then we probably should work with you, too, on getting um, some ideas out there on how racialized folks should probably have you know, access to their own cultural backgrounds and, and such for, you know, holidays and things like that. Those are things we should be fighting for as unions, but only if you see racism. <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean to be such an asshole, but, you know, 42 years of this bullshit, I think I've earned it. Anyway, um, I seen a lot of the uh, news went went out about our pride and even in, I think it was Halifax or someplace over over out way out east on the east coast that had a pride and um you know once again no two-spirit inclusion in the acronym of lgbtq2 or lgbtq um just lgbtq that's it because you know it's what 2015 was when the trc came out so it's been four good years of reconciliation and we still can't change the uh, media to include two-spirit or nonprofits to include two spirit or understand reconciliation or understand colonialism. But hey, we're still here. So I, I shared um, one of the articles from 2017 that came up in my memories. And it was and the voices I really want to elevate, though, in that is Harlan Prudence, um, as well as uh, Spirit, who's part of Voices here in Calgary. Because, um, you know, I. I was shocked. We came across someone who I won't name, but this person ended up being incredibly pro-police and was actually really awful to spirit at the start of the Pride Parade. And, um, you know, it really it really sucked, frankly, because, you know, we all have our own experiences. And for all of those folks out there who have had nothing but wonderful police interactions, hats off to you. Lucky you. You know, I have stacks of reports from the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, from, um, you know, Child Welfare. Um, now we have the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women Inquiry. We have 231 calls to justice. We have solid proof, report after report after report, of uh, racism and sexism within policing. So, and homophobia and transphobia. So if you, for a moment, think, oh man, police are fan-frickin-tastic, Please recognize that's a privilege that you get that other people have not experienced. And that's and hats off to you. I'm happy for you that you got uh, positive police interaction. But not all of us do. And even for me, somebody who volunteers with Calgary Police Services, uh, one of their uh, Indigenous committees, even me, as much as I try to work with cops, I still get really shitty looks, moments, stares. We from the Calgary Police today, today, uh, this past weekend, we were doing the Trans and Dyke March, and you could just see it on the one guy's face. He would absolutely have never been there as a police officer ever to support us. 
and these are just the folks that they just they deploy to take care of our parades as we you know march down fourth street or whatever and it sucks um you know i actually personally knew one of the one of the police officers this time which while that's nice you know it's it's hard it's hard because while i can have a good relationship with one cop that doesn't mean everyone in that march is going to and it doesn't negate the bad interactions I had with some of the other cops. But regardless, I didn't mean to go on too much about that. Um, but I do want to point out again, if you are not using a two in your LGBTQ acronym, step up because then I see you as racist because I know you're not acknowledging um, there's anything but white people in your in your community. I just know that. And I said that in the Global Mail two years ago. Um, so this year we took out a membership to the Queer Arts because uh, the folks down there are amazing and they're helping me and my daughter grow with different uh, movies. And last night the Rocky Horror Picture Show was supposed to be playing, but, you know, my husband and I, we were raised very homophobic and transphobic. So we were trying to unlearn a lot of that and hopefully we'll be able to introduce this movie to Samantha in a good way. Um, I need to watch it again because it's been so long since I've seen it. I just remember watching it one time and totally not understanding what was happening at all, <laughs> which shows how transphobic and homophobic I must have been at that time. Anyway, I showed her the the trailer and, um, you know, I think like when you compare the 70s to today, she watches movies with drag people and there are so many jokes. It's just like rapid fire jokes. And I, I miss half of the jokes because I'm just so, so busy laughing at their first joke. So I don't. I just don't even know if she'll care. I'm trying to get her caught up on some vintage movies, like vintage to her. She doesn't, she's never seen Terminator or Predator or Alien. And she comes from a generation of Harry Potter. So she probably doesn't care about the violence and misogyny that I grew up with, you know, whatever. Um, so, and when I was at the um, at the at the end of the Pride Parade, we all move into Princess Island Park, and they have you know the main stage, a huge area, vendors everywhere, food everywhere, food trucks. So um, anyway, I, I met a few of the uh, folks in the community, and some of them who may not want to be named who listen to the show. I can't tell you how sweet it is to hear folks come up to me over the weekend and tell me, oh, I listened to your show. It really means the world to me. Um, it happened at the Trans Dyke um, and Trans and Dyke March. And then it happened at Calgary Pride where folks were telling me that they listened to the show. And I just can't thank you enough. I just think it's so funny anybody would want to listen to my, you know, rantings and ravings. So. One of the folks that came up to me was telling, uh, confided in me that she was going to be going into rehab. This was kind of her last uh, hoorah weekend. And I was really proud of her for, um, you know, taking that next step. And because here, because I was talking about the lack of mental health support networks and such, like you can be on a waiting list for like three months. Right. So I think that was kind of the situation where she was just waiting for that, uh, for her time to finally come up where she could take it. But she was saying that the type of rehab she's going to be in, and I, I didn't ask her what organization is doing it or anything, because um, sometimes when people are disclosing, you don't, you know, ask those types of questions. But she was saying that she needed a, a ribbon skirt. And um, so I gave her, 
I gave her my daughter's, the one I was wearing. If you see any pictures of me, I was wearing this cute one that's like purple and yellow and pink because those are all of her favorite colors when I made it, what, a few years ago now. And, um, you know, so I was wearing it because she outgrew it because anybody who's seen pictures, she's taller than me now. And, um, and so I gave it to this girl because I just, she was shorter than me. So I knew it would fit her really well as, as part of it. And, um, I want to share a teaching that I was given during the walking with our sisters installation. Um, there was an elder locally here who may not want to be named. And she had told me that she always, um, has a ribbon skirt on and always carries one in her purse because you never know when you need to give them away. And she had her walking with her sister's skirt on her and she let me borrow it because I was going to be doing a talk about missing and murdered indigenous women. So I gave it back to her and she said to me that, you know, if you have the opportunity to give away a skirt, you should. And since she gave me that teaching, I've given away all my ribbon skirts. So I've got to get my uh, sewing machine fixed here. I have um, a gorgeous outfit of regalia that I would never give away. It was gifted to me from my community. So I'll always have an outfit to wear, but even for me, I need to make more ribbon skirts for myself as well as uh, my daughter and uh, hopefully give some away. And then it made me think of the Mending Broken Hearts workshop that we want to facilitate here. And um, I was thinking that I probably should make a bunch of skirts there as uh, part of the, hey, you know, thank you for coming and being part of this, but I don't know. I'll have to see how that works. I'll have to talk to uh, those who kind of sponsor me, see if we can make that work um, so that that way that folks who want to wear skirts can like back to the conversation to spirit. I mean, if some people don't identify as women, um, I, I don't know necessarily what all those teachings would look like. But at the same time, I could never force a woman to wear a skirt if they didn't want to or somebody who is uh, female presenting or I would never shame a man. Um, who is now transitioning into a woman and now a woman, you know, to not to who wants to wear a skirt to not wear a skirt. So anyway, it gets complicated, but at the same time, it doesn't have to be because it didn't used to be that way. And then once we learn those teachings, that will be good. But in the meantime, I kind of just want to say out to the Indigenous folks who are listening that if you can give away your skirts to folks who need them, do uh, I know I've given away one of my um, favorite skirts that I made was for a Star Wars, a Star Wars print. But um, there was a indigenous workshop here in the city and um, I wasn't allowed to go. So because I wasn't allowed to go, but there was a, um, a sister who had lost her sister and she wanted to go, but felt embarrassed to not have a skirt. I gave her my skirt. So like there's always situations like that. Right. And then. Um, even for me, I I have the capability to make skirts. I just don't like doing it all the time because, you know, it takes time. But at the end, end of the day, the result, the end result is so, you know, worthy. So it just feels good to, to make the skirts. And then if you end up giving them away, that's even better. I've had people give me skirts and I've given those skirts away as well um, to other folks for whatever variety of reasons. So if you're an, uh, you want to be an ally, you're non-Indigenous, um, you know, create opportunities for Indigenous people to make uh, skirts, ribbon skirts, because one, you can never not have enough ribbon skirts, but two, that we really are in a situation where there are many Indigenous that want 
a ribbon skirt, but can't don't have the means to make it, whether they don't have a sewing machine, don't have, you know, $100 to, you know, devote towards fabric, ribbons, elastics, and, um, and thread and, and things like that. Uh, so, and, and that's just a simple skirt. That's not even including ones like you can, there are women out there now who like have made a business of making skirts and, uh, beautiful, beautiful skirts that you can have adorned. And, you know, if you want to tell a story with your skirts, you can as well. So, um, you know, create those spaces because, you know, your non-Indigenous organizations guaranteed will get a million dollars in funding for something that the rest of us who've been trying to get that money will never get because it's a colonial structure. And if you can access those funds, do. Um, and especially if you're in, you know, social services or some, um, you know, colonial apprehension system like that, I guarantee that there are are um, kids in that are in your care that shouldn't be but are and regardless will probably want to access to their culture and this is a good opportunity to do that so anyway back to pride um the antifa were the so the folks that are anti-fascist are called antifa and you'll see a lot of you know trump loving mega right-wing losers be like antifa are the demons of hell and they're violent and nobody should ever give them credit and it's like morons their name are anti-fascist so literally people who would fight hitler and nazis this is who they are so if you really find yourself saying antifa are terrorists then you really have to look in the mirror and go you know do you have like hitler sympathies nazi sympathies like what does that look like to you? And if you do, then you like there are like advocates that can help you through those feelings. I would help you through those feelings so that we can get you back into, you know, honoring the veterans that died to kill Nazis. Um, you know, and we need to have those conversations if you really think that um, anti-fascist organizations are terrorists. Anyway, they were fabulous to us again here in Calgary. Um they made this huge banner to block out a bunch of, you know, gay bashing Bible thumpers led by Larry Heather. Now, for those who do not know who Larry Heather is, everyone in Calgary knows who Larry Heather is. Uh, he is this, he actually scared my daughter. <laughs> he came to Calgary City Hall and he, he did this for like, I don't know, a month where he had these like signs that was like, Nenshi is a coward and Nenshi is this and you know, the city council are cowards. And anyway, he has these like uber right wing extreme views that are always rooted in the in the Bible. So he would be like, uh, oh, what's that organization in Florida that does the, um, you know, where they protest every um, West Westboro Baptist. Thanks, Darcy. Uh, you know, he's like he's that for us here in Calgary. And while nobody takes him seriously, unfortunately, you know, while I know that and a lot of other people in Calgary may know that maybe there are other people who don't know him and don't know his group and his, their words would really like hurt. So uh, the Antifa, they had this huge banner to to get rid of them. And they also generously gave out a ton of noisemakers so that they could drown out Larry's megaphone and it worked. So um, this group, this Christian group always goes by the police for protection but I, I hope sooner or later they're going to figure out 
that their spot isn't going to work for them. Um, Antifa also had a fellow dressed up as Jesus and he gave out free hugs. And if you want to know who that he is, just follow him on Twitter too, because he's hysterically funny. I will always appreciate that he did that because the end of the day, um, you know, at least a third of homeless people were kicked out of their homes because of, you know, gay hating Christian values that have been taught through all of these churches. And, and it's not just a Christian one, like uh, the other um, Abrahamic religions all have this as a common shared value, it feels. Um, so anyway, a lot of our, our homeless population are literally LGBTQ2+, um, sometimes youth, um, who have lost everything by basically coming out. And when that happens, of course, you know, you finally get yourself up on your feet and you want to have a pride parade and then you come around the corner and this asshat and his followers are all there going, oh my God, gay hates you. So anyway, I was given this free, I, I was given a, a sign from a fellow down in uh, Tabor when we went to their pride. And on one side, it's like, you know, Jesus saying, did I fucking stutter when it comes to loving thy neighbor type message and then on the other side was the free hugs so <laughs> i will say i was pleasantly surprised at how many folks wanted free hugs by the way and you know what i actually think most of them were straight women because uh they were also wearing the free mom hugs and i'm like mm -hmm. you know this is really meant more for the kids who or for for people who have been rejected by their family but whatever whatever um, my husband, he attended this, uh, pride and I believe this is his first pride. Um, I've been taking Sam to pride since I think she was four. And for him, this was really his first one, but he went with a friend who, who does identify as bisexual and he marched last year, but this year he wanted to w watch it because it's so amazing. So they went and, um, taped, uh, Larry Heather and, and, uh, a lot of the, the parade and, so it was really great. And so Sam and her friends were marching with me and we had a really great march. Um, yeah. So I don't really know what is going to look like over, you know, from this year to next year with pride, you know, the federal election is coming and Randy Bossino, I don't know if he's going to get reelected. Um, but I hope that the prime minister will keep that, uh, LGBTQ2 plus, uh, ministry position. I just want to see more dialogue on the two-spirit component because we, we need a federal minister to be open to creating a strategy on two-spirit inclusion and violence prevention because the nonprofits that are run by non-Indigenous are way too fragile to go there. So uh, this year, so many Indigenous positions were lost with magically no funding available. So the gaps there are really quite huge. On the flip side, you know, the Calgary Aboriginal Friendship Centre, there was a two-spirit float, there was a Making Treaty 7 float, which um, the Queen of the Oil Field marched with them, which is good because they're all kind of arts-based. Uh, there was a Stony Nakoda float. Uh, Yusei was in there. And I seen tons of Indigenous people marching with different groups, like, because there were lots of groups. So, I, you know, while I am super com uh, political about my messages, and that's why I'm a big part of Voices, I mean, it is really great to see others using different mediums and the arts and nonprofits to get that support out there that, that it's needed. Yeah, and I've been wondering why I didn't see the tribal police out there this year. I'm wondering if there's a story behind that. So if you know the story, let me know. I want to hear it. Um, so, and for a lot of folks, there really been um, 
changes in Calgary Pride and and the way they've been doing things. Excuse me. I have just had a Coke, so I'm having all the burps. Anyway, um, so they have this new judging system, and I've seen so many accusations on that system because the political parties were excluded. And there were so many butthurt NDP supporters that are like, oh, my God. But it wasn't just them. I've seen some Alberta Party folks like that, too. So anyway, but rather than learn the issues, it was just really easier to make accusations, right? (laughs) Anyway. Oh, and the Liberal Party. I'm not going to exclude them because they were. (sighs) I can't put out this post. And I was actually really upset by it. And I wanted to rebuttal it. But of course, it's pride and it's stupid busy. But I found out at the Trans and Dyke March that there was a person, I can't remember their name, Jay or somebody who put out this post that basically rebuttaled it. So it was really good. It had like a non-Indigenous rebuttal, that w- which was fabulous. But of course, it really didn't talk about the intersectionality of colonialism. So that's why, of course, a lot of, in my opinion, today liberals have zero concept of how to do two-spirit inclusion, which is why I kind of talked about Randy and the federal minister, you know, creating a strategy. Um, I hope one day we get there, but yeah, we'll see. Um, but there were lots of really great firsts from this Calgary Pride. Um, you know, Voices was asked to put together, um, you know, lots of notes, were asked to speak, to do land acknowledgements. Um, I put together a lot of MMIWG um, information that went into the Calgary Pride package. I need to get my hand on a few of those copies, folks. So <laughs> um, I think that makes Calgary Pride the first across the country to understand the issue of two-spirit Indigenous colonial inclusion. So, um, and that's part of the reason why I'm so critical of the federal strategy. And I'm critical of all the national pride boards. If they're not having that dialogue or relationship building within the two-spirit communities, wherever they are. Um, And on a side note, if I was given a boost of, um, you know, energy, time and money, we, Calgary, out of all places, should have the biggest gay rodeo and two-spirit powwow in North America because we have the greatest show on earth, right? Greatest outdoor show on earth, I should say. Um, And I heard that the Calgary Stampede was excluded from Pride, which I think is a right decision because they're, you know... They don't even know how problematic they are at all. Zero concept of it. They're, I would argue, more politically um, in charge and in power of Calgary than any politician. Anyway, <laughs> maybe this can be their opportunity to do better. And then Rachel Notley will apologize to Evans and funding will be restored and rainbows will come out. And then, yeah, I know. I'm just kidding. It's uh, my dreaming getting out of hand from time to time. <laughs> Uh, the Trans and Dyke March had a beautiful land acknowledgement as part of their event and marched in Calgary Pride for the first time because they've been really excluded. Um, again, misogyny not really understood by the um, you know white gay uh, male community that generally had run Calgary Pride. But now that we have a lot more diversity, I think that there's a lot more understanding. So the Trans and Dyke March had done amazing work over so many years and now I think this was their 10th year but this is their first year that they're finally marching in pride so hats off to pride for starting to be more inclusive for all the community uh the Filipino community they put together a large float and um here at Voices we lost a few members because of that but 
you know, it's, it is a win to see the community inclusion for a long list of firsts. So it's really like, there's things I don't know. Right. So, you know, and it's funny to me that uh, the privileged feel excluded and act as if it's the end of the world. But I actually had more Indigenous families ask me about being part of the parade more than ever uh, that I can think of previously. So I hope that next year, uh, even more Indigenous families proudly march with the Two-Spirit community at Prides. Um, and I, I thought it was kind of funny because today's the day after and I feel so exhausted. Uh, but this is the first year that uh, cannabis was legal. So my husband, he's been teaching me various types of cannabis, whether it's daytime or nighttime. Anyway, um, you know, I've been trying to take a capsule at night to help me sleep and I wake up feeling way less stiff and sore. So, um, you know, I couldn't help but think like if I feel this awful and I'm not even involved in any organizing, really, I can't imagine how awful the, you know, YYC rainbow elders feel. Because, like, that's two days of marching for me. And uh, I'm tired. If it wasn't for cannabis, I would feel probably even worse. I, anyway, so I got to figure out a way to drive. Because, you know, I know a certain member of my family that um, pulled his back doing a whole bunch of heavy lifting. So we're going to need to figure out a way to, like, either have a van or maybe somebody can donate their beautiful, like, 1950s Chevy. So And we can put some of our community members in there so that that way they don't get so exhausted, especially if they worked so hard for Pride and Pride events. Anyway, <laughs> things to think about. Or maybe I'll get one of those like golf carts. Maybe we can get like a quad or something. I don't know. But I did hear. So those who may not know, um, and I ran for city council. So these things really matter to me. Um, it sounds really stupid to a lot of other folks, but it matters to me because I think... Um, you know, making Calgary more accessible to folks matters. Um, after having my daughter and when I was younger, I was riding my bike all over the place. Like there are so many places in Calgary where it's just inaccessible in, in general. So anyway, they started these e-scooters. So you basically, you know, download an app, put in a buck, and then you can take this little scooter and run around all Calgary with it. And you can just leave it anywhere because they're all GPS located. So everybody knows where they are if you have the app. So I heard that the group that put those out even like donated, you know, six to the Calgary Pride for the day so that they could, you know, scooter around and stuff. So maybe next year for Pride, we'll just have like, you know, scooters all the time for all of our community members. But the flip side of that, is that the uh, doctors and the and the hospitals have been saying that they've seen a huge increase in injuries. So like for someone like me who's klutzy under the best of circumstances, like I'm a little concerned about, you know, me probably not being the right person to be on an e-scooter, but whatever. <laughs> we'll figure it out. So these are things I'm thinking about for next year. So if you have um, ideas, please don't hesitate to contact me. <laughs> so yeah, with that, I just want to say happy Pride Calgary. I had a great time and I'm straight and cis, so I hope that um, Pride really was good for the people it's intended for. And those are, are all of the folks in the LGBTQ2 plus community. A um, lot of politics this year, but a really different feel to Pride. And I hope that it was positive for everybody. Um, so next on the list, September 30th is an orange shirt day. And, you know, so I encourage folks to order their shirts and their bling online if you haven't already. 
I'm pretty sure I gave away one of my favorite pairs of earrings. I'm going to have to go find them um, and maybe get new ones made. And anyway, if you don't have an orange shirt, get one. But if you want to order one, you can get one at orangeshirtday.net. And this group, actually, the proceeds go to uh, the folks who um, do the Orange Shirt Day Every Child Matters campaign. So one of the cool things that happened to me that I did not expect to happen was on October 30th, the Calgary Police Service had a graduating ceremony for 225, or class of 225. So what was new was that on the um, inside, they actually do a Calgary Police land acknowledgement. And they say, in the spirit of reconciliation, I would like to acknowledge that we work, live, play, and learn on traditional territory of the Blackfoot Confederacy, Siksika, Ganai, Bagani, and Sutina, and the Stony Nakoda nations of Bearspot, Chiniki, and Wesley, uh, the Métis Nation Region 3, and all the people who make their home in the Treaty 7 region of southern Alberta. The spirit and intent carried in land acknowledgement, a common teaching by many of my elders is that as human beings, we did not arrive in this time and place on our own. We all carry the life stories and lived experiences of our ancestors and those who have persevered so that our generations can live life in a good way. Our stories carried in the land, in the rocks, in the river, and in the whole environment coexisted in such a way that there was harmony between all beings within creation. We are capable of seeking treaties with the land and her resources to sustain our lives, and we are capable of seeking treaties with each other to preserve life. It is these thoughts and peaceful energies that we breathe life into when we do land acknowledgements. And that was written by Stony, or by Stony, I don't, I'm sorry, by Cindy Provost, um, who she has her Blackfoot name here, which means Sun Woman. She's a Bakani Nation member and a member of the Blackfoot Confederacy, and she's been a Calgary police officer for decades. Um, she's one of my um, incredible people I get to learn from, and uh, her teachings to me about the Calgary Police Service teepee is what actually inspired me to get the tattoo that I have on my arm, for those who've seen those pictures. So uh, the class of two, two, two. Five, they um, apparently all of the Calgary Police Service grads do the um, Mawada Armories as their, um, you know, class, end of class training, whatever. So I um, I have one of the inserts, and they they have the the new members all listed, which I I don't know if I feel comfortable saying that because I want them to feel comfortable at the end of the day. Anyway, uh, more Indigenous inclusion that I know I certainly did not expect was that um, they had one of the Calgary Police Commissioners um, come and join them, and that's Marilyn North Pagani, um, or Pagan, North, Marilyn North uh, Pagan, and, you know, really amazing human being, and working really hard at trying to do some Indigenous inclusion alongside with a lot of the other folks that have been... Um, a part of this justice committee. And with that, I'm probably going to mention that um, for those who are in the community here, one of the pillars of our community is uh, Bev Renault. She um, is the First Nation Métis Inuit social worker for the Calgary um, social worker uh, group that they have officially. 
and she's been in that position for years and you know been one of the people trying to head start a lot of really great work um, most recently that I can think of was the uh, Women's Warrior course that she put together after we had our Women's Safety Circle uh, that her and I teamed up on. But she's led um, a ton of, you know, sharing circles and initiatives within the community. And I, I have to sadly report that she has passed away from cancer and um, her her memorial is coming up. And uh, with that, the reason why I bring her up is that she was one of the key reasons why there was Indigenous inclusion in the class of 200, uh, class 225, because um, she was one of those advocates. And I believe last year she had won, well, she had won quite a few awards. And anyway, she's well respected in our community. And um, my deepest condolences, obviously, to our community and to her friends and family who have known her for so many years. And um, you know, I, I worked with the Indigenous Liaison, and he got pretty choked up about it. Rightfully so. I have a deep respect for that. And he, you know, really, when we prayed, we prayed for her as a thank you for her. So for those who missed it, um, you know, there were Indigenous elders that were included for the first time. And uh, they were given a dignitary, you know, place to sit along with Nenshi. And, um, you know, the the chief people, the people that, you know, normally you would have all your politicians. So it was a really beautiful ceremony. Um, we lit a smudge and I sang the strong woman song so that, um, I, I don't know how to articulate spirituality. Um, a lot of people have decades of articulating this and, and I don't, um, so what I will say is that the the shell that was used was one of the uh, shells that was part of the Walking With Our Sisters bundle. So I know not a lot of families who have lost loved ones. Um, there's, a, there's an attachment to that. There, it's, it is a spiritual realm that I don't understand. And singing that song has a spiritual connection that I can't articulate either. So I just know that a lot of families of missing and murdered Indigenous women, they sing through that. Like, it, it's not my song. It's, I mean, there's a history to the song itself. But, and this is another thing that I'll say to other folks out there who don't know. Um, when I was first taught this song, it was taught to me by a local Cree artist. And a lot of people, you know, respect her. And, but the, the thing about lateral violence and especially for folks who are first connecting to community like myself, um, there's a lot of like almost, uh, I guess, lateral violence. I hate using that term because it's taught colonial, like racist behavior, kind of like I was talking about earlier with the labor movement and, and workplace bullying. You know, it, it's all in there. Anyway, um, when I was first learning the song, people would say, you don't have the rights to that song. So I got really afraid to sing the song at a certain point. And I went down to the uh, downtown east side of Vancouver and was a part of a ceremony there. And, you know, the the women there said, this is this song is for everyone. So if you're listening to me right now and you don't have a song, this is a song that you can learn. And this is a song that you are allowed to sing. And you just, you hit the drum or your, the back of your hand, like a, like a heartbeat. 
And then once you get that, then you can learn the words to it. And um, I'll just read to you what I what I gave to the Calgary police when they asked about the song. And I told them that uh, this this Cree song has become the anthem for healing for missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, and two spirit. It was created by Maggie Paul. She her blah, 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 she is from um, a Mi'kmaq father and a Maliseet through marriage to Stanley Paul from the St. Mary's First Nation in Frederick, New Brunswick, as opposed by Rene Marceau in 2019 um, and published in 2011 by Nicole Lanz. Uh, she said that the Strong Woman song should be credited to the Anishinaabe uh, who were in solitary defilement in the prison for women in Kingston, Ontario during the 1970s. Nancy said it was these women who had this song come to them. Uh, my understanding from one of the women I sing with who went to the prison for women in Kingston to work with the women there at the time, this song emerged as a way of staying alive, of supporting each other in the hellhole. Many women in the P4W lost their lives because of the horrendous conditions there. And we sing to honor them and all women. And that was my understanding from what I had heard from the Cree woman who had taught me here here in Calgary, um, that they had there was a root in the Kingston, Ontario um, prison for women. But I all, had also heard that no nobody came back. There was no reoffending after being in this, as Nan, Nicole said, <laughs> this hellhole. Um, so and and anybody who, if you Google the Kingston, Ontario penitentiary, like you will learn how awful those those conditions were so um anyway i just i was really grateful to try to tell other people about this song and so this song you'll hear it on every october 4th and if you maybe start now you can learn until october 4th how to sing this song and when we i found that when i sing it with love and intent um another person here who's two-spirit she taught me to sing to my drum uh, not hit my drum hard, but just hit your drum to make the noise. And it's surprising how that sound just just carries. So sing to your drum. So when you're singing to your drum, you're singing with love, and you're you know inherently that the spirit of so many folks are coming through you through this song. Because every song is ceremony. Every song is a prayer. And when you sing the song, it it carries a lot of strength to it. So for me, that's why I sing this song at vigils, because one, I know I have the rights to sing it, but two, there's a, a deeper meaning to it. And, and maybe because, you know, I've, I've watched uh, violence between my, my parents and seen um, the way Indigenous women are treated through just my own story, let alone the thousands of other stories. That's why it means so much when I sing it. Um, but it, it's not just me. It, like It's my ancestors. It's the families that, that are singing through it. So to have that kind of power of that song go into this ceremony, the Calgary Police Service ceremony, and sing it to the cadets, um, you know, I I used to kind of joke about one elder who was like, the spirit of the buffalo is now within you, because he sang a song. But, I, you know, I kind of feel like an asshole, because on the flip side, I kind of know what that means now in a different way. Um, you know, I don't like non-indigenous people appropriating our culture and our ways and sometimes I think we say things to basically appease them and I felt that at the time that it was said but I think there is a bigger deeper meaning about some of our songs and ceremony 
at that even if you don't believe in our ways they still resonate and when you legitimately know the gravity of a song and a, a house song and drum our prayer spirits come through that like it or not and you don't have to be a christian you don't have to like there's no you know religious meaning to any of that it's a bigger picture anyway it's really honored to, to be included in that sing that song drum that have the smudge lit and um the chief actually said to me that he was um you know, going to do more Indigenous inclusion. So that made me happy. So we'll see. Uh, so we'll see over the course of the year what that looks like. And I hope that um, being a part of this committee helps facilitate a lot of that. So I have a million other things to say, but I will say that Indigenous have been talking about these issues and sharing our traumas in reports, commissions, and public hearings, just so that it can be regularly disregarded. No more. Honor these words. Honor the treaties. Listen to politicians and their policies and platforms. If they don't recognize the marginalized and their budget or their speeches um, with gender equity plus, if they're cutting violence prevention programs and services, indigenous education, uterus health choices, gay straight alliances, know that your vote is to that party is directly negatively impacting marginalized people. You know, demand that they implement the Truth and Reconciliation Commission calls to action, the recommendations of the Royal Commission on Aboriginal People, um, the multiple reports about child welfare reform, violence prevention, uh, health care, justice. Now we have 231 calls to justice through the National Inquiry on Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women, Girls and Two-Spirit. You know, denying those reports is a form of abuse called gaslighting. Our people are experiencing extreme racism in the educational health justice institutions with multiple reports that say the same thing, demand change from election platforms and politicians. If they do not understand colonialism, racism, and privilege, and sexism, they literally have zero business running. All of this should be understood by all parties and local politicians, community organizations, sports clubs, um, everything. Community associations. <laughs> I can't believe it. A great, really great article... I said out loud in episode uh, 62 is truth before truth, how non-indigenous Canadians become allies. Really great article. Um, Violence is just my everyday reality. Every indigenous generation has faced it. That's why I started this podcast to speak freely without interruption, without tone police, without leadership shaming, without gaslighting questions. Many people do not want to hear indigenous opinion, but sure want to tell us theirs usually by people who know nothing about Indigenous, know nothing about colonialism, know nothing about the constant surveillance of Indigenous people, our protests, our vigils, and our rights by police, typical microaggressions, people dealing with internalized racism, people who are gatekeepers that survive off the status quo, and then there are people who are really deep into their trauma. Internal and external racism is an everyday reality for Indigenous people. That's why I needed this podcast as a boundary, but also to my hope is that my daughter and my family will understand these present-day issues down the road. Um, I always believe in cultural safety. So, you know, this is an ongoing process of learning for me, and I would like it to be one for you as well. And you got to look at it as first aid for, um, for marginalized situations. Um, do something. Having good intentions is not enough. Take action to make change. Speak out against racism, homophobia, sexism, 
transphobia. Uh, you know, ask questions with more with to those with more understanding, like Google, like seriously, Google it. Why is that so hard? Uh, create a support system for you so that you can advocate for culturally safe approaches. Take responsibility for your own learning. Read, reflect, ask questions. Don't always expect this to come from marginalized people. Take time for self-reflection. Be aware of your own assumptions, uh, own assumptions and biases. Question everything you've learned about Indigenous people and take steps to actively disrupt those stereotypes. Commit to lifelong learning. Be prepared to be uncomfortable. Understand colonialism and the legacy of racism is an ongoing and difficult task. And I'll just say, you know, life is not easy. I had to apologize to the Two-Spirit community for taking space. Rightfully so. And rightfully so. I am, I am you know, embarrassed that more people don't know, you know, Two-Spirit advocates in our area. You can Google it and you can see a long list of people who identify as Two-Spirit Calgarians. And yet they don't get asked. Right. So anyway, I um, not only do I apologize to the two spirit community, but I hope that you all who are listening can see how easy it is. If you listen to my last podcast, if I ever misgendered, how quick it, and easy it is to go back to proper gen- pronouns. These I'm learning, you're learning. Let's learn together. Anyway, I want to say thank you to here to help.bc.ca for their what is Indigenous cultural safety and why I should care about it as a guide for me to speak about on here. There's so many do's and don'ts for bystander interventions. I encourage people to Google it. Um, for years, I have, or for years, but for a whole year and at least 60 episodes, I've talked about this. So I'm telling you, you know, if you are silent in the name of oppression, it communicates approval and leaves the victim high and dry. If you find yourself too nervous or afraid to speak out, move closer to the person being harassed to communicate your support. Teach your kids accountability. Ask people, what did you mean by that? It's a subtle way to hold people accountable and teach folks to be, you know, being uncomfortable is not necessarily a gender prerequisite either. We have to teach our girls. It's not okay for people to be oppressive to them. And it, it's better that people be safe instead of polite. Anyway, if you're experiencing emotional distress and want to talk, call the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness helpline at 1-855-242-3310. It is toll-free and open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I want to say thank you to my ancestors, my granny, my mom of what strength looks like through your example. I want to thank my dad for teaching me to be strong and blunt. My stepmom for teaching me what a proud culture is through her Austrian roots and te- stepping up to teach me to be a proud Calgarian because it is through her I am a second generation Calgarian. Uh, thank you to my husband Darcy for producing and editing the show. On top of being my husband, my childhood friend, father of our child, he has supported me down my journey of the Red Road and has witnessed decades of racism and sexism. And to our child who we are blessed to learn from daily, We are honored you chose us. You give me daily accountability to be a stronger and a better person. My patron account is Native Calgarian. I want to say thank you again to all of my um, ridiculous donors who have been so loyal to me. I can't thank you enough. It's been, I just want you to know if you've done one donation or many and had to quit for any financial reasons, just know how much I appreciate your support. If you value uh, listening and can afford to give, thank you. For that, those that cannot afford to give but listen in, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com. 
where you can send in your comments or questions. We are also on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. And I just want to end by uh, giving the side eye to the Calgary Rabbits. You're lucky I'm not Treadish, or my beautiful cousin would respond, or you'd be in my dish. Thanks for listening.